Father in heaven, thank you so much that your watch care over us has been constant and never-ending in this past week. That is only by your grace and your mercy that we're able to come here and study together once more. Father, thank you. And I just ask that this evening you would please be with us as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds, give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And we also pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to know how to apply these words to our lives. Thank you, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our study this evening is entitled The Hidden Treasure, The Pearl, and The Net. And once again, we are studying a parable, or a few parables, I should say, three in fact, in Matthew chapter 13. And we've been there for quite a number of weeks already. As I said, there are eight parables found in this chapter. And we went through two the last time, and today we're going to go through another three. They're short, and it's interesting because all these parables in Matthew 13 start with stating that it's illustrating something about the kingdom of heaven. Let me show you. You see, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 11, it talks about the kingdom of heaven. And this really is in sandwiched right in the middle there about the parable of the four grounds that we first studied at the very beginning of the series. Then in verse 19, it talks about the hearing of the word of the kingdom. Verse 24, it talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a man that sowed good seed, pardon me, not see, but seed in his field. And this was a parable of the, the wheat and the tares. And then in verse 31, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And finally, in verse 33, if you're able to follow along in Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven was like leaven. So those were the two parables that we studied last time, the mustard seed and the leaven. And now we're going to pick it up here in Matthew 13 and verse 44. We're going to read two of the three parables and notice that they both continue to talk about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, how are these two parables tied together? Why are we studying them together this evening? What is common about them that we're going to put this together? Well, they both are looking for goods or they find goods of high value. One is a treasure hidden in the field. The other is a pearl of great price. And the other thing that we find in common between these two parables is that they have to sell everything in order to obtain this goods of high value. However, although they're similar in some parts, there are also some really important differences that we see here between the two. What is it? Well, in the first parable about the hidden treasure, that one was accidental. This man, he was going about 
plowing another man's field. Maybe he was employed to do that. And so as he was plowing this man's field, as he was minding his own business, he just, with the plow, I guess, ran into something hard, figuring it must be some log or some roots. As he dug it up, he found that it was this treasure chest full of all sorts of treasures. And it was just a normal day. It was just a normal job. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. But yet he stumbled across this treasure. When we look at the, the pearl of great price, though, that man, he was like a merchant man. He was going about looking for the best pearl. This person was intentional. He was looking of, for the pearl of great price. He was on a mission to find the most beautiful and perfect of all pearls. Now look, let's have a look at the parable of the hidden treasure. Let's look a bit deeper. What does it mean? And who does that man represent? You see, he represents all of us. Why? Everybody in the world, they, they, they are just going out throughout life. And that's the majority of us. We're not thinking too much about anything. We're minding our own business. We're just making a living. We're trying to earn some money, just working their job or doing their studies. Nothing special or extraordinary about this circumstance. But all of a sudden, he hits this big piece of wood. And upon further, upon further examination, he finds this treasure chest, enough jewels and diamonds and gold and money and whatever else was precious in those days, enough to retire on or to at least make him filthy rich, right? And so he was excited. He was excited to the extent that he went out and sold everything that he had just to get this field. He had to buy the whole field, and in order to get that field, he had to sell everything. Maybe his friends thought he was, had lost his mind. There was no house there. He was plowing the field. It was used for growing crops. It didn't look like it had, it had any value to it whatsoever. And I guess the owner was unaware that such a treasure was in his field. Either he had amnesia and had forgotten, or he had purchased it from someone else, and he did not know that that treasure was there. And so this man represents us. We're minding our own business. We're going about our normal duties, not looking for anything in particular, but we stumble across this treasure. Now, what does the treasure represent? Well, let's go to another Bible text, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Proverbs 2, 2 to 4. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and applying thine heart to understand. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasures. Did you see what this hidden treasure was that we have to seek for like silver? What was it in verse 2 there? Incline your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. And if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. You see that? What does it represent, this hidden treasure in Proverbs? It represents wisdom. It represents knowledge. It represents understanding. However, let's keep going. 
1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudence. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, what? They knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You see, the wisdom of God, the wisdom that is spoken about here in this verse, is not the wisdom that we commonly talk about, such as getting good grades or wisdom for getting a job and performing in an interview well or doing your job well. That's not the sort of wisdom that here in 1 Corinthians is talking about. You see, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. The wisdom that the world seeks after, it's foolishness to God. And God's foolishness, which is wiser than any man, He says that it has much to do with the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, and the power of God. The Bible's wisdom has much to do with Jesus and the preaching of the cross. So this treasure that is found in this field, in this in this field that this man is plowing, it represents the Word of God, the Gospel, the cross. It is wisdom. It is knowledge. It is understanding. But what else does the treasure represent? Let's go to another Bible text, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see that? Someone has or has been hidden in them all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who is this in whom? Who is that referring to? Because this person has all this treasure. This person has all that wisdom and that knowledge that we are seeking for. And in this person is that hidden treasure. Let's just go back to the previous verse that we just read Um, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let's just go back up one verse and you will see very clearly. You could probably guess it. But anyways, here it is in verse 2. That their hearts might be conformed, being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of who? Of Christ. And that's when it says in the very next verse, in whom is hid all all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Friends, this is very clear. In Christ is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The field represents Jesus. The field represents Jesus. It's not the world. That field is Jesus and in Him is this hidden treasure. And Jesus, He he, he doesn't come to the world with all this pomp of a king. He's not dressed in expensive clothing. He's not coming across with, with such, such oratory speech of a king. No, he doesn't. He doesn't come with all the fanfare of rich people and those that are notable in the world. He's unassuming. He's unassuming. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the people came to arrest Jesus, they did not know who He was because He didn't stand out above all the other disciples. He didn't dress better. He wasn't in sandals, whereas all the disciples were in, in bare feet. No, he, he blended right in. He was just another common person. And this field was just a field that this man was working. It didn't seem like anything special. But in it was a pearl. I mean, not the pearl, the hidden treasure. And so this treasure, it represents wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Remember, this man was not looking for that treasure. He just bumped into it. And everybody, even though they're in the presence of Christ, sometimes we, we, don't, we don't get the, the, the treasure that is hidden right there. Why? Because it's a casual touch. It's possible to come to church and miss the whole point of our relationship and our time with Jesus. But in Him is hidden all the what? The wisdom, the knowledge, and, and the understanding. And what's so precious about this, you might ask? What is so important for wisdom and knowledge and understanding? I mean, look, we'll see this at the end of the study. But so far, we know that the wisdom that God gives is not the wisdom from the world. It's not the wisdom that you can acquire from the world through, through university and high school and getting more degrees and, and getting more experience in your job. No, friends, this wisdom that God gives is different to what the world can offer. But remember, the field is Jesus. In Him is hidden this treasure of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. For what, you might ask, for what? We'll get to that later on in the study. But I want you to remember one more thing. Remember, in order to get this field, in order to obtain this field, this man had to do what? He had to sell everything. Now let's have a look at that pearl, that pearl of great price, that goodly pearl. What does it represent? Obviously, the pearl of great price was of high value, just like the hidden treasure. It also represents wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. It was Jesus. To obtain that, you had to sell all the good pearls that you had. And this man, he was a collector. He must have had pearls that were very valuable. But in this pearl, he saw something so marvelous, so amazing, so unique that none other pearl in his whole collection could offer to the extent that this one pearl outweighed everything else that he had. And so this pearl must represent the same as that treasure in the previous parable we just studied. But the main difference was what? This person was looking for the pearl. He was looking for Jesus. And when he finds what he's looking for, immediately he is willing and he is ready to part with all those precious pearls that he ever had. So look, friends, there are two groups. One, not searching. They accidentally bump into this treasure. They accidentally find it. The other group is searching. And when they find it, 
both of them are willing to sell everything. Everything. So both of them, they would go back and sell everything that they have. What does this mean to sell everything? Does it mean that we've got to be poor and live on the side of the street? And, and you know, does this, is that what it means that we've got to sell everything and not own anything? What does the Bible mean? Pro, uh, pro, pardon me, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that what? I may win Christ. You see, Paul was writing here. He says he counts everything loss in comparison to what he found in Christ. It's not that everything else was was just dung itself, but no, it did not compare to this precious treasure and pearl that he had found. You see, when we when when it comes to we're being willing to sell everything for Christ, it's not that we got to literally sell everything. Some people are friends. Some of us, we got too many things. The world is crowding in around us and we got so many things surrounding us, so many things that glitter around us, that get our attention, that we have not prioritized Christ. How important is Christ to you? Where are your priorities? Seriously, where do your priorities lie this evening? Well, what does that mean? How, how do we know our priorities? Well, what do you spend more time with? What's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? Have you made time for Jesus? Or have you just said, you're too busy? You know, do, do we make time for people that are important for us? Absolutely. Do we make time for things that are important to us? Absolutely. There are people that would be willing to, to work and then study masters at night, and they would go for two years, even though they have a family, but just to get a degree, just to get more pay, just to get more money. People are willing to sacrifice time, their sleep, time with family, things that should really be much higher than just a simple degree, isn't it? But we are all willing to sacrifice. And so the question comes to us, where does Christ lie in all our priorities? Because the man who owned that field, the man who had the pearl of great price, both of them were willing to sacrifice just to get this treasure or this pearl. Priorities, friends. And yes, there has to be sacrifice somewhere along the way. I always remember, I always remember this one thing that was spoken to me back 16 years ago while I was on internship. This pastor, he spoke at, at, at this church and he said, you don't have commitment without sacrifice. Commitment and sacrifice always come together. You cannot say that you are committed to something unless you are willing to sacrifice for it. And many of us, we're committed to our studies. 
So we sacrifice our sleep, we sacrifice our time, we sacrifice our pleasure, we sacrifice our food, and same with um, our jobs, and we will sacrifice for relationships. People will spend a lot of money just on a relationship, right? So when there is commitment, there is always sacrifice. That, my dear friends, is called priorities. And to us, many of us, money is more valuable. It puts food on the table. To many of us, family is more valuable. It, it gives us community and acceptance. That's the same with our friends, even our church friends. And how is Christ? Where does He rank in all of that? How about wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that He gives? How important and valuable is that to each and every one of us? It has to come to that point where it becomes our first priority or else we will never sell all that we have, isn't it, friends? These two men, it became their number one and sole priority. You can imagine that man who was plowing the field and and when he found the treasure, he wasn't looking for it, but when he found it, all he could think about was that treasure. He went home and sold everything that he had. People thought he was crazy. And maybe even that person who had all these pearls, he went and sold everything just for this one pearl. People must have thought he was crazy. He'd lost his mind. Willing to sell everything just for this field? It didn't even look nice at all. It was, you were just plowing it, right? But he understood his priorities. He knew where his priorities lay. But friends, why is it Why is it that we find it so difficult to put our priorities straight? Let's go to a story, an encounter. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 23. The story is about a rich young ruler. The Bible says, When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one. That's God. Thou knowest the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, defraud not, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said what? One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. Why? Because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? Do you know, friends, that riches really change people? Do you know that? Possessions. You know, sometimes the more that we have, the more we become selfish. We, we, we become less generous and we get really possessive of our things. What's the reason why the rich young ruler went away sorrowful? Because he had so much that he had to give up. He had so much that he had to sacrifice. It was because of his many possessions that it crowded out his love for God. The more we have, the harder it is to give up our life for Christ. It's a fact, isn't it? And you know, friends, there's nothing wrong 
with getting things that are more expensive or things that are of higher quality that cost just a little bit more. But it becomes wrong when you get possessive over it, when you're not willing to help somebody because of it. Maybe your, your house is too expensive and, you, and you're scared for kids to come around and ruin your house. So you don't invite people over, you know? Maybe your, your couch is too expensive and if they come over, they might ruin the couch and that'll, that'll be the end of it. Or maybe you find it hard and you find it unwilling to, to fetch people in your car because your car's too nice and you just cleaned it. Can't have people sitting out there and getting all dirty, right? And we get to the point that some of our things, they're just too nice that we're not willing to share with people. We get scared to lend people our things, right? And friends, it's not that we... You see, don't misunderstand. we got to take care of our things, right? There are some people that you lend things out and they come back and they're wrecked, right? And you got to go buy something new. And, and yeah, look, we've we got to take care of our things. we got to be good stewards of the possessions that God gave us, but not to the extent that it crowds out our love for Jesus. What's the most important thing in your life right now, friends? Sometimes it's not possessions. Sometimes it's your, ch- it's your children. Sometimes it's your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. Sometimes it's your degree. And you've got to figure out what it is. And... Share with each other what that is, friends. Be willing to, to, to own up and especially confess that before God. Because once you figure it out, you've got to ask yourself, is this one thing more important than God? Have I prioritized this one thing above God? Is it your studies? What is it? Is it your friends? Is it your investments and money? What is it? Are they a higher priority than Jesus? Look, there needs to be a balance. Some people, they put their children more important than God and, you know, we can't make it to church early. You know, we got to make sure that, you know, they, we let them sleep and wake up in their own sweet time. We can't wake them up and bring them to church early. We got to feed them. We got to clothe them, you know can't evan- attend evangelistic series because my, my kids, they're not allowed to stay up late. We've got to send them home early. But yet sometimes we're willing to sacrifice our kids' health because of a friend's wedding or a birthday party. But when it comes to spiritual things, we can't prioritize God. No, 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 my kid has to sleep early. They have school the next day. But not when it comes to social things. And all of a sudden, we're prioritizing the health more important than God. We've got to be careful, friends. We've got to be consistent. We've got to make sure that we prioritize things properly because sometimes it's possible to make children our idol. But yet Paul said he counts everything for loss. He counted it as dung. It was not the number one priority. God was always the number one priority. Not to say that you should neglect your studies, Not to say that you should neglect your family or your wife or your children. No, friends. But we have to have a proper perspective and a balance. And you've got to then find a wife or a husband who has the same priorities as you, that they make sure that God is always number one and not even each other. How do you find that out? 
Well, friends, it's important as husband and wife, not just to simply spend time together in family worship and and reading the Bible together, but separately as husband and wife in your devotion and your walk with Jesus. You see, before God ever made Eve, He had His one-on-one time with Adam. And while God had His one-on-one time with Eve, guess what Adam was doing? He was sleeping. It was God that brought Eve to Adam to wake him up after he had enough time with her already. We have to have our personal time with God as well, even as a married couple. Friends, what are your priorities? What is it that makes God secondary or even third or fourth or last? What is it? And sometimes we've got to ask God to rip those things away from us because sometimes we are just addicted to it. You know what I mean, friends. It's called our mobile phones. It's those touch screens. It's called YouTube. It's called Instagram. It's called TikTok and whatever else. There's new new apps coming out all the time. Uh, I'm just stuck with uh, uh, Facebook. You know, and people say, oh, that's, that's for the older generation now. But you see, friends, what is it that, that keeps you awake at night that you can't wake up early enough to, to spend time with Jesus? We get addicted to these things, isn't it? And Jesus becomes number two priority. Are you willing to count everything for loss? Have you seen the blessedness in Christ when you have found Him? Have you seen how special He is to you? Do you realize how valuable Christ really is to you? Has, have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? Let me tell you, Mary. Mary Magdalene, who was that woman who was caught in adultery in the very act, she had a personal encounter with Jesus. He saved from the wicked plots of those priests who were ready to stone her just like that because she was caught in adultery. Zacchaeus, he had a personal encounter with Jesus as well. When, when all the people around him, they hated that, that dishonest tax collector, and yet he climbed up the tree to see Jesus, and Jesus was willing to eat with him and be his friend when everyone else had rejected him. Jesus accepted him and loved him. The paralytic by the pool of Bethesda, he had a personal encounter with Jesus. So did blind Bartimaeus and the leper who came begging for healing. They saw Christ's love and mercy towards each of them personally. And friends, it is possible to go to church and be in church so long that sometimes we forget about our past. We forget what we've been through or what Christ has saved us from or delivered us from or our own experience becomes stale. Why? Because the past year we have not had a personal encounter with Jesus. Maybe you came to Jesus 10 years ago, but what has Jesus been doing for you this past week? How has God blessed you? Have you had that personal encounter? Because so many of us, we haven't. We haven't. Jesus has just become stale. Jesus has just become church. We've not brought Him into the middle of everything. We've forgotten His goodness. Sure, He took us out from the fire. He plucked us out from a bad situation. He saved us from unhealthy relationships. He gave us a better job. But maybe that was five, ten years ago. How about this past week? 
And I believe, friends, this is why it's so important to praise God every day, to keep His blessings before our faces and in our minds. I have a prayer journal. I make sure that I write down at least five praises every day. And sometimes I struggle, but sometimes I have ten. You see, friends, how has God been good to you? What do you have to praise God about? Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus this past week? Do you know how He's blessed you? Do you keep fresh His praises before your very eyes and in your mind constantly? Look at what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says about praising God. Psalms 34 and verse 1. Psalms 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Look at Psalms 35 28, And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Look at another one, Psalms 103 verse 1 to 5, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. If there's one thing that we can learn from the book of Psalms is that learning to praise God all the time is as much important as a religious duty as reading the Bible and even praying as well. Friends, praise ascends up through our prayers and God loves to hear it. He is so thankful to receive this praise. His heart is warmed that His children recognize all the blessings that He gives them. But even in the New Testament, this is spoken of as well. You see in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Maybe, just maybe, you're sitting there thinking to yourself that life is just so bad. That there's just so many horrible things that are happening to me right now. I cannot praise God. I just want you to pause right where you are right now. And really pray and think. Think of five praises, five blessings. I'm sure you can. Don't dig up five blessings from the past year. If you have to, okay, just one month. But try to think of five praises for this past week. And you will quickly discover that the God that we serve is an amazing God. Praise is so important, not because we need to praise God and God needs us to praise Him and worship Him, but it's a constant reminder that we serve a living God and how He wants to bless us so much and give us so many wonderful things in life. So, have you seen how precious this treasure is to you yet? Do you realize this precious treasure that you cannot live without, this pearl of great price. How has Jesus blessed you? How has He been a blessing to you this past week? Please, friends, share. Write it down. Write it in a prayer journal. It's important. So when you feel down, you can recount these praises and remember 
how God is so good and so real, even though you might not feel him in that present moment. Look, let's continue to that last parable. We're running out of time here. Let's go to look at that last parable, the parable about the net. Let's let's continue and, and you'll see how this is connected with these other two parables. Matthew 13, 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels and cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The parable of the net. This is the last parable that's related to that hidden treasure and the pearl. But how? What does this net represent? You see, the net represents the gospel. Just like what we've seen, in a sense, in, in, in the first two. But you see, this gospel, it's pulling in all the good and the bad. It's like the gospel in Matthew 24, verse 14, how it has to be preached to all the world. And God, Jesus, He makes us fishers of men. And so as the gospel is preached, people come into the church, but they come in with different reasons and they're coming with different motives. And some people are there and they see the field and they're working in the field, but they never find the treasure. They have all these other pearls, but they never find the pearl of great price. And yes, all these other, other activities in church, they're important, but they mean nothing unless you come in contact with Jesus himself. And so, it's possible that we are there in church, but it doesn't mean that we are saved. But as, as this net draws in all these people, guess what? God at the end, He divides the, the, the fishes. He, he, he judges everybody and he, he throws the bad away and He gathers those that are good and brings them in. But how does God determine who is good and bad? Do you know that in that parable about that net, it does not say anything about how God will judge between the good and the bad? It seems like we don't know. It seems like God's decision is a mystery, but it isn't. It isn't, friends, because we see the division found back in the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. This is where the two previous parables connect to the net or the parable of the net. And what is that dividing line, friends? What's the dividing line? It's based upon whether we are willing to sell everything that we have or not. Whether we have prioritized God above all that we have. Both men in both parables did not hesitate to sell off everything so that they could get that hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Friends, are you willing to prioritize God this evening? Are you really willing to say, God, I give you my everything. I'm going to put you first. Friends, do you realize how important this wisdom and knowledge and understanding is? Why is this wisdom, knowledge and understanding so precious to us that the world cannot give it? It has to come from God. And it becomes such a precious treasure that we're willing to sell everything that we have. You see, friends, we need a lot of wisdom to find a right life partner. And maybe some of you started off with the wrong motive. 
You met hooked up in a bar or in a nightclub. But you can have the wisdom of God to make your marriage sweet and successful and a blessing to each other and all those that are around you. You need wisdom to take care of your health. Do you know that? A lot of wisdom. There are many people out there that are willing to give up everything just to cure cancers or tumors or any health problems that they have. We need a lot of wisdom as a mother or a father to know how to train up your children so they don't become rebellious and become a curse instead of a blessing to this world. You need a lot of wisdom if you're going to make wise investments. What to buy, what, when to buy, and, and when to sell, and, and some of those things are just not found in books that you can study, right? And ultimately, we need a lot of wisdom if we want to lead and live a fulfilled life. And that life, my dear friends, is only found in Christ. At the end of the day, are you living the life that Jesus wants you to live? Are you willing to really prioritize and put Jesus first? And maybe this evening you're not. As you're sitting here listening, it's like, I'm not going to put Jesus first. But that's where I've got to ask you, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Psalms 34 verse 8. Taste Him and you will see all the blessings that He has poured out upon your life. You will see all those blessings, friends. And when you recount all those goodness, you cannot but just realize the God that we serve is not only a living God, but He loves each and every one of us so much. There are so many things that we never thought we need wisdom, knowledge, and understanding for until we reach that point where we have to use it. The wisdom that we think of is worldly wisdom, but it's not about scoring top grades in high school and university. Some people get so many degrees and yet they're, they're a failure in life. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed success because you, you graduated from an, uh, an Ivy League university or, or some top university with some really good names or even graduate with top grades. It doesn't mean anything unless you have the wisdom that Christ offers you. The wisdom of meekness and humility. Even the wisdom to know when you're wrong and to make peace in the home. Have you tasted of the goodness of the gospel, friends? God is good all the time. He makes the sun to rise on the good and the bad. He makes it to rain on the good and the bad. He's not partial in that way. None of us need to sit there so long to think about any praises. It's just we've not been thinking about Him at all. My dear friends, I want to encourage you to just stop and pause throughout the rush and the hustle and the bustle of your life. Just to pause and think about some praises. Praises that demonstrate the realness of God in your life. Not just about a book that you read of someone else's experience, but your own personal experience with Jesus. If you truly followed the gospel properly, then there would be so many blessings that would come with it. God would open your eyes to see all those blessings. But too often we, we focus on the things that we didn't get, isn't it? We're not content. We're not happy with life even though we have so much. We forget that God has blessed us so much. So friends, I want to encourage you to just pause today 
wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take time out from your busy schedule just to pause and to sit still. The blessing of just being able to sleep peacefully at night, knowing that God wants you right there wherever you are, going whatever you're going through right now, is a peace that the world cannot give. These these things cannot be calculated in monetary terms. So though it is the angels that separate between the good and the bad, at the end of time, it really is dependent upon the decisions that we make today. And before you go off and say, I'm going to read the Bible more, I want you to pause and write five blessings down, five praises down, how God has been good to you. And I'm telling you, when you write those things down, you will realize how good a God we serve and how great a God we serve and how we serve a living God who even now is living to make intercession for each and every one of us and is still wishing to pour out even more blessings than we have ever received before. God is saying, you haven't seen anything yet. But we got to pray. We got to praise. We got to walk with Jesus. We got to experience Him in each of our lives. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you so much that we serve a living God who loves us and loves to bless each and every one of us much more than any earthly father or mother. Lord, that's how much you love us. And I just pray that you'd open our eyes this evening. Help us to see your goodness. Help us to see how much you love us. Help us to see your blessings and not just focus on the things of this world and focus on what we don't have, but what we already have in our possession. Lord, help us not to be complainers and murmurers. Help us to be content and give us spiritual insight to the physical world around us today that we can see your hand in even the smallest of things. So Lord, please remind each of us today that we might be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.